This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome into Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Jay White, here today with Wills Couture, IT expert at Newcore Steel and IT instructor at Holmes Community College, and Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctors and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg. We always want to hear from you. We want to hear if you have any problems with the tech that is in your life currently, questions, comments, want to share good stories, bad stories, or whatever is going on in your tech world. Call us today. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Again, that's one eight seven seven MPB ring, one eight seven seven six one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Coming uh, to us, Jay got a new mouth for uh, the you know for the weekend, so he's having a little problem talking there. Uh, yeah, having to break it in. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that is the voice of uh, Wilts Couture coming to us from uh, the uh, the Bird Sanctuary out there. How's it going? Oh, man, pretty good. Just, uh, you know, I was trying to come up with something really funny to say there. I just couldn't come back with something. I don't know. I totally lost it on you there, Jay. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the birds are still singing. The winds are blowing. And uh, things are going well. How is um, how is Workman going for you uh, there uh, with Newcore? How, is is it uh, is everybody still staying away mostly? Guys are working from home. Uh, those of us who can work from home, most of us are still there. Uh, the mill's still up and running. We're still you know producing the best, highest quality Mississippi steel that can be found. But um, I will actually be going back into the office Monday, so. Um, for some reason, my wife started cheering whenever I said that. I don't know what the deal was, you know. But, uh, yeah, so most of us office folks will be coming back on Monday, kind of see how that goes, still taking it easy. But, you know, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, just speaking from my personal experience, it's going to be strange because um, for a lot of people who maybe, you know, have not been back into the office for a long, long time or for us here at MPB for the longest time, I guess a couple of months at least, we were coming in and either hosting or producing our shows and then basically turning turning around and leaving. So uh, that's the good life right there. Come in, work for a couple hours, head on back home, uh, get out, got the rest of the day for whatever you could do while a pandemic is going on, but to basically have the rest of the day open for you starting at, I don't know, 11 or 12 o'clock. Uh, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit different, a little bit interesting, uh, kind of putting yourself back into that eight to five 
work schedule. That's not going to be fun. Or maybe it will be. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was really enjoying the commute all the way from the bedroom to the living room. I mean, you know, every now and then there was a traffic jam with the cat and dog. But other than that, uh, yeah, the traffic was pretty good. Well, uh, Jeremy, how about you? Uh, when is when is the, uh, the boss has had you back in the shop for a long time, right? Yeah, man, he loves me. Um, (laughs) I'm one of his favorite people in the world. You know, if that's not too vain to say that. Um, I have not stopped working. In fact, I've reached this point now where, like, um, I'm just, like, permanently tired all the time. (laughs) Just (laughs) just worn out. So just getting used to a whole new way of doing things, you know, and and a lot more demands because everybody needs their stuff yesterday. But, uh, you know, saving, saving the world... And uh, one technology, a literate person at a time. That's that's what it's about. That's the mission. <laughs> uh, you said a text yesterday to us. Uh, you were pumped to find out about the Minecraft Education Edition. Yeah, this is uh, this is pretty cool. Um, if you don't know what Minecraft is, it's a little game. It's basically like a digital Lego game. Um, that's where a good way to go put it. In. Yeah. You can build stuff and you can, you know, cut down trees and you can mine and you can dig and you can sky's the limit in Minecraft. Well, they've taken that awesome creative environment and they sandboxed it into an educational platform. So I got to try it um, just uh, one level, which was to teach kids how to program. And so. Uh, you get this. Uh, the, the mission is that you're uh, you're consulting with a firefighting department, and you are helping program a little robot to help fight fires. So, kind of teaches you like some fundamentals of AI, and then it has some little um, some little bitty programming methods that you go through uh, that are basically like drag and drop puzzle pieces. And then uh, the part where the kids are really going to have to challenge themselves is where you uh, the the values in those programming functions can change so it can say like walk forward three steps and then turn left then walk forward five steps and then turn right so it puts you on this little obstacle course and you have to get the robot from the beginning to the end and then you go through more little training courses and it's really neat um i thought it was really cool to be in a video game getting an education that was that was interesting. I mean, it's like, a, you know, the online classroom has just gone to a, uh, a lower res, um, more visually inclined uh, virtual room, which is it was just it was really it was really neat. And at the end of it, uh, to to reward the the budding programmer for passing the first <laughs> lesson, they put you in another little sandbox where you can do. Uh, you can generate certain things. What they say is, okay, all right, we, we got all the hazards off of this field at the end, so now we need you to replant. So you uh, you basically program your character to plant a tree every step they take, but it will let you play with anything. So I was, like, running around and putting up barriers and flooring all with every step, and so eventually I boxed myself in. Um, at one time I was generating uh, infinite amount of chickens, um, so that was funny because I was like, where do all these chickens come from? And then I went back and looked at the coding and it was like, generate a chicken with every step, no matter what, like ad nauseum, just keep going. So there was like a bajillion chickens running around. But anyways, it was really cool to see a platform of input and output 
And, you know, when I was growing up learning programming, uh, you know, I, oh, man, I sound old here. I didn't have punch cards, but I had that <laughs> really boring black and white screen, you know, and, and with C++, you know, you'll you'll do uh, like three pages of code to get one line of something on the screen. Yeah. So to see a, a new system of feedback where it's like, OK, I'm going to put this in and we're going to get immediate output that is visual. It makes sense to a kid. It takes these fundamentals of programming and puts them on a whole new level. So I'm really fascinated to see where this goes and how this educates the youth of the future. You know, I've always kind of dug Minecraft for the fact that it it teaches youth that things just don't appear out of nowhere. Uh, And, you you, you know, you got to work for stuff and stuff doesn't last forever. You know, a, a lot of the tools that you get. As you use them, they wear out, and eventually you have to go find or make something new. And and I've always thought that was, you know, a really good lesson uh, for for children who sometimes and look, it's just because of their their perspective and their age. They just think things that they can use appear out of nowhere, and whenever they want a new one, it can just appear. Mom and dad, go make right. it happen, and it doesn't always work like that. It's not with not the way the real world works. And I thought it, it's a it's a it's a really good. Uh, teacher of that, uh, you know, and having pets and different things like that and, and, and finding, you know, multiple different types of materials to make, um, you know, a third thing or tool or something like that. I've, I've always really enjoyed that aspect of the game and how it, it teaches, again, uh, my kids anyway, that, you know, everything comes from something and it just doesn't appear out of nowhere. So, Well, Minecraft is such a sophisticated game. I mean, even when it first came out, it had capabilities that were just unheard of in a video game. Someone uh, I guess uh, Jeremy froze up there for a second, so we'll get him unfrozen. It's cold in Hattiesburg all of a sudden. All right, so in the meantime, let's go to the phones. You can give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I think we had a network blip right there. We lost both of them, right? Okay, so what we'll do, David, I'll save you the trouble, and we'll take a, our first break here, and we'll try to get the experts back instead of just having you ask your question out loud and me wondering along with you what the answer might be. <laughs> All right, our first break of the hour, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Everyday Tech will continue after this timeout on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is MPB Think Radio. 
Welcome into Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jay White here today with Jeremy Thompson and Wilts Cotrere. We're taking your tech questions today at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. The guys were on the line and we were about to take our first call today and then we had a network blip or something and the experts went away and I panicked into a break. And so David from Mobile, I apologize for that. Thanks for hanging on. We've got have our experts back in the saddle now. So um with that uh with that information in hand, David, go right ahead. Good morning. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um thank goodness for the Remote controls. I mean, uh, I think the media loses credibility when they focus on one item to the exclusion of all else. So I can just change the channel, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's about all I have to say. All right. Thanks for the uh, call this morning, David. We appreciate it. Guys, God bless, you know, uh, God bless the remote. Growing up, I was the remote control. Um but of course, Jeremy wouldn't know about that. That was back during the time of punch cards. So, uh, I what did I see? Uh, I saw yesterday. I, saw I also something. spent a good chunk of my childhood as a remote control. Thank you. Yes, right across the shag carpet. That was me. I saw a comment yesterday that said uh, something about our parents had um, uh, voice con- voice controlled remotes. Also, and the uh, commands were like "get up and change the channel" or something like that. So. Yeah, or yeah. if you really want to go old schools, when we had to actually go out, if I was at my grandparents' house, it was go outside and turn the antenna. And, you know, there were little Ooh. marks for what different channel, whatever granddaddy was wanting to watch is where we had to turn the antenna to. It was great whenever he got the electronic one that would actually do it for him. Yeah. I was always jealous of uh, folks that had the uh, satellite dishes. Man, that was Oh, like, the redneck bird baths. Yeah. And it's like other world technology. And, uh, you know, in in the Jackson area, we had, for the size city we had, we kind of had a, a pretty basic cable system, you know, 40 channels and something like that. And you see these stories in other places of, you know, 100 channels and stuff like this. I thought we were getting ripped off. Anyway, you know, it, it seemed like one kid had the cool parents in every neighborhood had that satellite dish in the backyard. And they had, you know, they had more channels than you could count in every language oh, yeah. that you can find. And all sorts of stuff. That was always the cool thing. Um, guys, Facebook, we talked about this last week about, you know, how you get your information and how do you vet it, so to speak. How do you stay away from information that you don't think is um, any good or, for better or for worse, what you don't want to hear. Uh, Facebook's revamped news section launches in the U.S. with a focus on local sources. So uh, Facebook is is launching its revamped news tab, uh, and the launch will include a dedicated local news section, among other topics, including a George Floyd-specific section as of uh, yesterday. The tab can only be found on mobile right now, but um, by tapping the hamburger menu, selecting See More, and sifting through a handful of other sections. Um, In an online FAQ detailing the structure of the new Facebook news, the company outlines its editorial strategy, including which publishers it decides to promote and what metrics it uses to pick one story uh, from one outlet over another. To do so, the company is employing a human team and vetting sources through a new effort called the News Page Index. Quote, the team is transparent about the following guidelines and will make... um, curatorial choices independently 
and not at the direction of Facebook, publishers, or advertisers. They will apply the same guidelines and criteria to our coverage about Facebook as we would to any other company or industry. Guys, and and Jeremy, uh, this is kind of a lot of what we talked about last week, but uh, just get your thoughts on... You know, these billion billion dollar um, multimedia companies that are basically, you know, uh, social media platforms that have exploded, you know, they have a fine line to walk uh, between keeping the information that's passed through their their platform safe and um, vetted, I I suppose, to a certain extent. But at the same time, you don't want to be censoring anybody uh, because people have their rights to share what information they want to share. This is a fine line for them to walk. I mean, how do you even go about, you know, between the political correctness and, you know, the, the structure of a, of, again, a multi-billion dollar company. How, how do you, how do you walk this line and try to figure out a way to make this work without probably making everybody mad? Well, I say first you take a very eloquently written letter that basically beats around the bush with the word censorship right in the middle, and they just won't say it. As you were reading that statement, (laughs) all I could think was they will not say censorship. They're trying to do anything they can to avoid the idea of censorship. And this is it's just a slippery slope, man, because. It starts with, well, we're trying to keep the information correct out there. What does that even mean? Some information is correct to the re- relative to the person who's reading it. So I don't, I don't really understand how that's going to work, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Um, we are the ones who should do our own due diligence. We should not be leaving it on any one certain web page to give us all of our information. It's our job to look that up, and because people are not willing to do it, now they're going to turn it over to some source, which will probably eventually try to make itself automatic and artificially intelligent. And that's, like I said, that's a slippery slope. I don't, I, I, I'm not pleased to hear it because I'm the type of person who I'll say 95% of the time I read something, I'm going to go and verify that it's true. There is that knee-jerk reaction, that 5% of the time where I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this is terrible. <laughs> I have to tell everyone. And then... You know, it pops up and tells you that it's only half true or whatever. Well, or, so, you read the, or you read the rest of it and say, oh, this is from The Onion. Never mind. <laughs> that and, you know, they're kind of like they're, they're cherry picking because I've noticed with some of these articles, it'll be, oh, well, they said it was this, but it was really more like this. And so it's it's like, are, are we going for accuracy here? Are we going for factual? What's the actual difference between the two? And who determines that? Well, and then on the other side, you know, Wilts, they, it, it's as long as you keep the human element in this, there's always going to be the possibility or I'd, I say the the likelihood for error in, in some form or another. And for as much as people want to stay independent and above choosing sides, it's almost impossible for a group of humans to not let some sort of personal emotion leak into this at some side or at some point or another. But to the opposite side, kind of like what Jeremy was saying a minute ago, if if you build this into some sort of algorithm, there's human element in all these stories that algorithms ultimately just can't get to. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all a product of, of what we see and all of us. I mean, we could 
I don't know. I mean, I've always kind of thought when I look out at the sky, each of us probably sees a slightly different shade of blue. But I think we all collectively agree it's blue. Um, <laughs> I know some people who would argue that it's pink or purple polka dots. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just I guess I guess truth can be relative in some regards. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we're going to see things through. You know, you can even go generational. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of picking back on Jeremy just because I love picking on Jeremy because it's fun <laughs> and he can take it. But yeah, I mean, I worked on punch cards. I see, I see tech in a whole different way in that era. Um, sometimes I see it fondly, sometimes not so much because those things were not very easy to deal with. But I don't, I don't think we don't have that single source of truth like like a database. I mean, when you look at a database, when you look at a computer, the information that's in there, the computer. Take away artificial intelligence. The computer has data, and you know this is what it is. But I've seen so many times how a different person would use that exact same data mm-hmm. can give you a different perception. It's how you go onto it. So I mean, it's, it's kind of going back really to what Jeremy said, though. It is on us to research, and that's. Man, especially lately on on any social media platform, there are people. I think that all they're doing is that knee jerk reaction that Jeremy was talking about. It's like, oh, I saw this in a meme, must be true. I'm going to post it. Oh, dang, that was the Onion. That was the Babylon Bee. That was something that was. Sad. I mean, I've seen so many satirical sites come out or knee jerk reaction things come out, and that if somebody would just take a few minutes, think for a second, and maybe look and say, you know, this might not be accurate. Do I want to portray myself that way? And maybe keep on scrolling but um i I do think it's interesting to to view it from the company's perspectives you know a lot of these are publicly traded companies and so uh you know their bottom line you know can be very much determined by headlines and so you know garbage that people can put online i mean i understand you you don't want to you don't want to censor anybody you want to let everybody have their ability to speak their mind. But at the same time, some of this stuff that people can say can come back on these companies that give them the platform to do that. And that's, they've got to protect their investment uh, and their product uh, uh, to a certain extent. It's man, when there are this many people that are connected to some of these platforms, some of these questions, man, there's no good answer uh, one way or another. We'll see how they, Continue. It's like you, you know, YouTube is the same thing. Um, these videos, they're trying to, you know, guard the information that goes out there to a certain extent. But I don't I mean you're you're a you're a public platform. All right, let's go to the the phones. You can call us one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Tom is in New Albany. Tom, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm about to beat both my brain cells to death because neither one of them can answer this little problem here. <laughs> Uh, I got a 2010 HP, and I don't know why machines have gotten actually dumber. Uh, I bought a Windows 10 machine in 2018. It's a 1.8 gigahertz chip, but yet my little HP HP over here is a three and a half gigahertz. I'm running 16 gigs of RAM, and the main drive in it was a terabyte, but of course it only formats out to uh, I think it's 931.5, yeah, gigabytes. And they had partitioned it uh, with a system drive, which is hidden. Which you can see that it's there, but you can't actually access anything. It's required, as well as the C yeah. drive with the OS on it. And then they had 
partition. So your, your little system you drive is 100 meg. It's nothing. The, uh, the core drive is a 920 gig. And then they had this little 11 something that had all their trial programs on it. <laughs> so now that they're all done and gone, I erased them. And I'm wanting to reincorporate that into the C drive to regain that 11 gig. So I said, okay, what I'll do is I'll clone the drive and stretch the C drive clone so that it includes that 11 gig. Now, I have tried Macrium Reflect, Aomi. Um, I'm about to try Mini Tool, but all of these little freebies, supposedly, we can help you clone your drive as soon as you get to the point where, okay, it's ready to go. Oh, you have to pay right. for this through the nose. Me, I'm only going to need to do it let once. Me catch, <laughs> let me go ahead and cut you off right there. Right. There are not a lot of freebies that are going to do what you want to do. Okay. Also, when me and Wills heard that you were doing this for 11 gigabytes, we looked at each other over Skype like, why? If it was a terabyte, we could totally understand. Even maybe 50 gigs, but 11 gigabytes is pretty negligible. The problem with what you've got going on here is you have to repartition your drive. And when you do that, you risk damaging all the other data that's on that drive. The yeah. better course of action here is to actually back up all of your stuff and wipe everything out and redo everything fresh. Now, you'll never get rid of that system reserve partition. As you know, that's just something Windows has to have to function. But the rest yeah. of it, you should be able to get back. But a Windows well, reinstall is going to be the way to go. Now, it sounds right. like you didn't have a Windows disk. You did a factory restore, which means it used the install or the partition uh, that has the recovery software on it. When you recover that, you don't get to pick how the image goes back on your computer. They do that for you. So unless you have a Windows disk, which you can get through the media creation tool off of Microsoft's website and reinstall Windows yourself, you're going to have to kiss that 11 gigs goodbye. Okay. Well, of a couple of my other machines and everything, they didn't have that hidden thing. I think this is just an HP. Right. It's, a, it's uh, just uh, a new thing that they're doing. And one of their I things. always... I rarely ever use a recovery partition whenever a computer comes into my shop. And the reason is because it's loaded down in a proprietary way, which usually right. involves your hard job being cut up some weird way like that. And oh. then also all of the bloatware and proprietary software and garbage that they put on it. So if you get that media creation tool, you'll still be able to keep your Windows key and everything. And you'll be able to install a fresh, clean version of Windows with no bells and whistles, no extra, no, no, no bloatware. Right. Well, my, my main problem, though, is there's already so much of my software on there and everything, and it's set up the way I want it. I do not want to have to start from scratch. I, I need to, then, as some matter of fact, some of these programs you can't get anymore, and I don't know where the disks are for them. So I just want to do, sure. to, to migrate it to a new drive and try to reclaim that, number one, to lose a drive letter, you know, and to just mm -hmm. give it a little more elbow room, which really elbow room isn't a problem because on that, uh, C main drive, you know, I'm, I've got still got 735 gig free out of a 920. So, but I'm, I'm just, I was trying to, trying to just collate it down. Now, my one other question is I have a, an old laptop drive that, uh, my brother, of course, is dumbing a box of rocks with dirt icing. <laughs> and, uh, he thinks when you close a laptop, you turn it off. And so, well, some he of you laptop, so he's not totally dumb. Poor old boy. Uh, well, he would close his laptop and let let the battery die. And then he'd open it up, oh, crap, plug it in, power it back up. He did this about, I don't know, 300 times in 200 days. Mm -hmm. And so one day he opened it, and it would not power up. 
I pull the drive on it, and it shows as raw. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying without form because he did come up. He says he called me. He's like, um, it says the drive must be formatted before it will use. And I was like, don't. You know, so oh, you you got stuff on there. Gonna, you're gonna have to pull that drive out, and you're gonna have to perform what's called a check disk. I've you need to do that. a check disk on that drive so Windows can scan it and find out where the information is and is not, so it can make sense of what it's seeing. It sees too much garbled data on that drive right now. It cannot interpret it. So it just tells you, most likely at least, unless it was formatted accidentally, that it is raw. But it's not raw. Yeah, I need to, I need to, re, I need to, uh, once, once we get the data off of it, because there's a lot of family photos, there's a lot of, uh, uh, mm-hmm. scanned stuff from his job from like three, four years ago that he still needs in record. He was keeping it on the laptop. And, uh, um, yeah. So we need to we need to re- reclaim that, and once that's done, then I can. It's a little. It's a 500 gig uh, laptop drive, the uh, 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 two and a half inch. Yeah. And, uh, so you, and need all the, you need I've to do a check this. Plugging it in, and you know, I've a, got all the things to plug it in USB and check it remote. And I guess you'd say remotely outside a machine. So. All right, Tom. We so we appreciate the call this you morning. Need to do a check this on that disk. And if it's still showing up as raw after you do a check disk, you're going to have to use data recovery software to scrub the data off of the drive. Regarding your first laptop, the risk is not worth the reward when it comes to that 11 gigs. I would let it go personally. Wilkes is also in agreement with me. It's just there's not enough data there to risk damaging your entire drive to get that 11 gigs back. And if you've got a bunch of software and stuff on there you want, your options are to clone your drive up to a larger size drive, which is going to cause issues with an older operating system once you go past one terabyte. So, again, the risk is not worth the reward. He should just come over the top of it with a gigantic external drive, right? Just an excuse to get one of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or if he can find an 11 gig external drive. Yeah, there you go. 11 gig, yeah. The 16 is going to be the next size out there. Yeah. All right. So eight. Tom and his poor old brother from New Albany. You need to, Jeremy, you need to open up a store in New Albany. That's you need to franchise computer doctors and put one somewhere in North Mississippi. One eight seven seven MPB rings the number one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go, Craig and Biloxi next. Craig, good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, my my problem is not as complicated as the last guy, but I still need the voice of experience here. Uh, my phone charger, the little USB thing on the bottom, is getting inter- intermittent contact. I was wondering what kind of problems that is, or maybe I need a new cord. Do you have an Android or an iPhone? What you, which uh, one do you I have? I have an Android. It has a small, the small USB, not the 3.0, but the small USB yeah, you got charger. Yeah, you got the micro USB. So yeah. um, you need to got a bent pin up in there. Your charge port is dirty or your cable is bad, or your charger is bad. I would start with a charge cable. If it doesn't work, go with the charger, and then from there, look at possibly getting your port cleaned out. Okay, yeah, I've, I've cleaned them out myself. It's, it's real hard. I can't see anything in there. Are they gold-plated well, inside uh, the phone? You do not want to stick anything conductive down in there. Make sure you mm-hmm. use, like, a toothpick or uh, one of those, any kind of, like, dental pick that's plastic or wood would be fine. 
Um, right. I, I will I say the that battery. usually I, yeah. when I do those types of cleanings, I do them under a microscope so I can see exactly where I'm stabbing and picking at and so forth. And um, if you don't have access to one of those and you do have access to a toothpick, you shouldn't – don't use any any force. You should just be able to go in there and gently just you know sweep things out, and uh, it should start working again. Yeah, I used a microphone and a toothpick, and then I pulled the battery and used a small piece of copper wire, and that seemed to help it a little bit. Uh, it, so, so, so that's a stand, is, is that a standard problem for them to get yes. corroded? It is. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, think about it, because it spends so much time in your pocket. There's yeah. lint and all kinds of different things in the bottom that are working their way up into that port, and it does. Thank God forbid okay. it get wet. Okay, one more oh, yeah. thing here. Uh, one more thing here. I was wondering if you could address the, the net neutrality laws that have that have been rolled back. If there's any like visible things that that's happened from that, and I'll, and I'll listen on the air for that. All right, Craig. We appreciate well, the call I, from Biloxi. I wasn't aware that net neutrality laws had been rolled back yet. Uh, I'm a little out of the loop, I guess. <laughs> I'm looking here. No, from what? Well, let's see. Officially repealed? No, no, uh, no. We're still uh, we're still on a uh, non-neutral net. Um, the changes that you notice on these things will be gradual at first because um, you ever heard the expression "How do you boil a frog?" Uh, you know, because if you put it in hot water, it'll just hop right out. But if you turn the temperature up on it slowly, then it'll sit in there until it's cooked. Well, that's kind of what they're doing with the Internet right now. They just slowly throttle these speeds so people don't really notice until it's too late. But I will say I personally notice, but, of course, everybody's on the Internet now. Uh, the four of us who never video chat are in the middle of a video chat right now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're not the only ones, and there's a lot more bandwidth going across uh, or, or being used across the Internet. So there's a lot more demand being put on the system. Um, so it's going to be slowish, but you're going to notice more of that. Uh, your ISPs are going to have tiered programs like they already do. Uh, you know, you can buy the slow package from Comcast and you can buy the faster <laughs> one for way more dollars a month. Um, it's already in process of, of, of being completely non-neutral. I mean, it, it, traffic is already being prioritized uh, from the people that pay for it. And um, there were some firefighters in uh, California that were dealing with this Earlier this year, um, their uh, their their network usage was being throttled because uh, they were using so much of it, and they tried to contact Verizon, the various carriers, to get them to fix that. And I think eventually they did. But if we had a non if we had a neutral net, we would not have to worry about those types of things. Yeah, you know, last week we talked about a story where uh, and I can't remember the specifics now, but there's a certain phone where. Uh, or a certain carrier, I should say, that is um, allowing users of Disney Plus, you know, they're just letting that go, you know, full speed. But other things like, you know, Hulu and Netflix are being throttled on the same on the same accounts. So that's some interesting stuff right there. One eight seven seven MPB ring. Go ahead. What'd you say? It's called quality of service. And all they do is they go in there and they say, all right, well. People that are using this service, we put them on the uh, fast lane, and everybody who wants to use this other stuff, we're going to reduce their capacity by 50%, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know exactly how they do it, but that's they deprioritize the traffic. So 
It's all they have to do. And the other thing they're doing, too, is they're saying, well, hey, yeah, like, you know, hey, this will count against your data limit cap, but this traffic over here won't count against your data limit trap. Yep. You know, uh, limit. So, I mean, in essence, even if they don't throttle your speed, they're going to throttle your usage one way or another. That's what it was. Thank you. That's he, yep. he corrected me there. That's what it was. One eight seven seven MPB ring is the number one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back after this timeout. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio with Wilson, Jeremy. I'm Jay. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to call us up with any tech questions or comments this morning, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. A little bit of a, a, a note for folks, I guess a warning to a certain extent. Uh, the Brave browsers caught redirecting URLs for cash. Uh, I don't know. It, it's pretty new, um, but it is been heavily advertised and it has largely been advertised on um, security uh, basically is is the selling point for the brave browser it's big orange lion head looking thing uh, <laughs> I've only downloaded it on one of my phones and one of uh, the computers in the control room uh, here at work so I guess got to get rid of that uh, but they were caught redirecting URLs for cash and I even got um, this news came out yesterday and also yesterday i got a promoted ad on my twitter timeline touting the brave browser that didn't go over well in the in the uh sub tweets for that one so brave browser stay away from it i guess if i could say that all right one eight seven seven mpb ring that's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four do you guys have a browser preference before we go back to the phones you, number one, do you have a a, a PC or Mac, or like I guess like a desktop preference, and then a mobile preference? Uh, I yeah. pretty much use Chrome across the board. Um, I haven't been as pleased with Chrome's pop-up blocking abilities lately. In fact, Google pretty much announced like, hey, we're going to break the pop-up, pop-up breaking capability of Chrome because uh, we need ad money. Um, so I use Firefox <laughs> most of the time. Um, Firefox gives you the ability to add the extension uBlock Origin, which is a fantastic pop-up blocker. I mean, once you add that one, you don't really see ads anymore. So it's pretty legit. Um, on my phone, I bounce between Firefox and Chrome, depending on what I'm doing. The Firefox mobile browser is not done yet. Um, there are some changes to the ways that they're rendering pages and whatnot. And you can tell because I'll be on certain pages, say if it's got like an animation or something like that, it'll just eventually tell me, Hey, it it can't load this animation. I'm sitting here going, what do you mean you can't load it? I was just (laughs) looking at it. So anyways, 
Um, Firefox is a little iffy on Android, but I use it for uh, most of the stuff. I really don't like being tracked. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big privacy advocate. So I would say if you are concerned about your privacy, Firefox is the better way to go because they're not tracking and cataloging everything you do like Google has been doing for a really long time. Now, having said that, Chrome is a fantastic browser. Chrome is fast. Chrome works very well. Google did that for a reason. But Chrome's been kind of going downhill lately, so I've been more more trying to get over to Firefox as much as I can. You guys have a take and you know on what? that. And believe it or not, Chrome and I mean Google and Microsoft are starting to get into a little bit of a uh, of a little tift there because you know the new Edge browser is based on Chromium. And it looks like Microsoft's actually trying to, you know, um, in, in typical Internet Explorer fashion, entering the game really, really late. But uh, <laughs> they're actually trying to get into the browser wars here. Um, and, and, you know, push, now pushing kinda, it very aggressively on their machines, as you, it might, almost yeah, you might expect. Like, it almost sounds like they're developing a browser that's not going to be terrible. I'm excited for that. They're really getting there. I mean, you know, one of our biggest problems comes in. I mean, you know, like the whole, you know, um, Microsoft, whichever flavor, IE or um, or Edge, Chrome and Firefox has really, for us on the corporate side, has been the compatibility. Chrome works with mm-hmm. everything better for us. We run into problems with Firefox. Some pages it won't render right. Um, the really strange thing is we run into microsoft pages that won't render render properly under internet explorer or edge but they do fine under chrome i mean it's just really you know i mean honestly it's aggravating because here we are in 2020 and we cannot have it's almost impossible to come out and say well you know what here is the one browser if you get this one browser it's going to be able to work 100 percent of the time i don't think we can honestly say that no um you know, it's like each one's got these pluses and minuses, and, you know, like for us, it was like something going on yesterday, something for our general manager. And when the general manager has a problem, you fix the problem. Yeah. The fix for the problem was changing the browser over to Chrome. Works like a champ. And so it's it's been this really strange balance back and forth. It's, just, it's a, you know, disturbance in the force. So I guess really what we could say is that we recommend you have more than one browser and just kind of hop between the two depending on what your issue may be. The extensions, yeah. the extensions that Chrome offers are really really cool, and the the library is is deep, um, and that's that's really cool. Although you know sometimes you try to find some other browsers that have more bells and whistles and and features and things like that. I know in, in the past I, I liked Opera because. Uh, it had the layout was a little more uh, user intuitive for my tastes, and at the same time, you could use Chrome extensions and operate if they worked together. Uh, but I mean, that's it's kind of not as good as it used to be. Do you guys have a a, a take on Duck Duck Go, which is one that's been uh, aggressively advertised, including? Coming back from Louisiana a couple weeks ago, I saw five billboards on Interstate 55 between Macomb and Byram for DuckDuckGo. And I'm like, man, Crystal Springs got him a DuckDuckGo advertisement out here on the interstate. Well, I I like DuckDuckGo because it's supposed to be private searching. It's supposed to be encrypted. It's supposed to block trackers. It does a lot of, a lot of beneficial things for people that are concerned about privacy. 
The thing I don't like about DuckDuckGo is that it can be a little aggressive when it comes to getting it off of people's computers. Um, it likes to make mm. itself that main search page, and a lot of people think that it's scamming. Even though it's not, it doesn't have the most reputable logo in the world. It's a duck with a green bow tie. I mean, it just looks kind of scary. It looks like something a kid made. You know, now, this is my school project for a search engine, but it is a good search engine. It's not perfect. Uh, they say that they use Google's indexing, but I have noticed that when I search with DuckDuckGo versus Google, I always get better results with Google. That's interesting. Uh, don't trust well, a duck know, with a green bow tie is what I've just learned. Yes. Watch out for those ducks and green bow tie. If it was a blue bow tie, I might, I totally might be more different. understanding. That green bow tie, green's the color of money. He's motivated. <laughs> what are you going to say, Wills? Well, you know, and, and, well, and Jeremy, you brought it up too, though. Security, privacy. We've said, I think all along on here, you know, be careful with things that are free because when they're free, more than likely, you're the product. So, no doubt. Um, you know, so no matter what, in my opinion, no matter what the different browsers will sit there and say, oh, you know, we'll protect your privacy and we'll do this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, it still comes back. Still, the responsibility falls back on you. Watch out what you're putting out there and where you're going onto the websites and just realize that what they say and what they do may be two different things because I'm about willing to bet that most of our listeners are probably like most of us, and that is – when you're installing something and it says, hey, do you agree to this long litany of different items? We click agree and move on. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't know what you may have just agreed to. So, you know, it's just one of those. I wanted to throw that user beware disclaimer in there. Um, you know, kind of goes back to Google. We've always said, you know, Google's an advertising company. If you're using Gmail, guess what? They're scanning your email. They're looking for stuff. They're automated looking in there. So browsers are the same way. Um, just no, be careful. No Duck, doubt. DuckDuckGo, I, I just looked this up. How do they make their money? They make it through advertising and affiliate marketing. Advertising, you see, but what's affiliate marketing? Affiliate marketing is when they send you to a product and get paid for that. So you're looking for this. You click on it on DuckDuckGo. They just got money for you clicking on their link. There you go. So, yeah, uh, no doubt. All right, let's go to Florence and let's talk to Roger. Roger, good morning. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. Great show. Now, you're listening to an octogenarian, so I am way low-tech. <laughs> I'll warn you ahead of time. So i got some low-tech comments. One is that I have a what I think is still a, a, a new uh, laptop. It's a Mac. Best. Wish I hadn't. Wish I'd kept my older one. But it has uh, Safari. And I've run into all kinds of problems with Safari as a browser. I've been told, I'm trying to find out why, oh, don't use Safari, use, use something else. And so I put Chrome on there, and I have trouble with that, too. But that's, I haven't heard you mention the word Safari. Is that so bad that it's not even talked about these days? <laughs> Guys, what about Safari, your, your, native, your native iOS browser there? Safari being built into uh, all iPhones and all Macs uh, has its place for sure as the default browser on those platforms. Um, it's not bad, but honestly, neither me nor Wilts are Mac users. Now, Wilts may use it on his iPhone. I don't know. But um, for the most part, we were going with uh, what would be used in the, in the Windows world because that's what we're most familiar with. However, on a Mac, 
uh, Safari is is definitely a uh, a good browser if you're on the most current version of OS 10. If you're on an older Mac, which is what you said that you were using, uh, Safari is not going to be a great option for you because the version of Safari that you have is outdated, and the only way to get the new one is to update your operating system. So unfortunately, you would be limited on how far up you could go, so it would be better for you to find a third-party browser like Firefox or Chrome. Very good. Thank you. All right, Roger, we appreciate the call. Is there, uh, to your guys' knowledge, is there one that would play better with a Mac? No, not really. It's it's the same. They're pretty much the same on, on all the platforms. Jump between Chrome and Firefox, depending on what your issues are with whatever compatibility problems you have. Now, you know, since we're talking about Safari, there is also Safari for Windows. Um, we don't really recommend Safari for Windows. Um, that just sounds it's gross. It's kind of a joke. Yeah, that I know. Sounds exactly, like a, it right? sounds like a duck with a green tie. I don't even like Safari on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, Safari on the latest versions of iOS and OS ten gonna be okay. Otherwise I would go with something newer because those those programs are going to update themselves independently of your operating system, which means they're going to be more secure. All right, guys, uh, just a couple minutes left in the show here and a couple of notes to pass along. We talked about the the big PS5 reveal that was originally scheduled for June 4th, but postponed to uh, kind of uh, make way for uh, the George Floyd situation, uh, protest and stuff like that to play out. Uh, They've rescheduled it for tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow at 3 o'clock Central Time, 4 Eastern. And uh, Sony plans to show off PS5 games during the event, and it will run for, quote, a bit more than an hour, according to Sony Interactive CEO Jim Ryan. So, uh, guys, uh, how how much are you looking forward to the PS5? Are you going to try to get this thing as soon as you can, or are you going to wait maybe until the price cools off a little bit, or maybe until they build uh, a library of games a little bit more? All right, well, you know me. It's so interesting. Me and Jeremy are so... uh, it's like he's got an Android. I have an iPhone. He's a PlayStation player. I'm an Xbox. <laughs> so it's like it's, it's really kind of cool. Yes, it's, it's I, that's why we get a good balance. I'm excited for the PlayStation Five because supposedly Sony has eliminated loading times. Now that is something I'm interested in. That's a claim, a all game right. That doesn't have loading times. Wow, <laughs> that would be awesome. What about with their backwards compatibility? That's what I'm waiting to kind of see is are they going to do kind of what they did with the four, which is, you know, at the gate, it didn't have much. Right. Um, I'm wondering what they I've, will do with I, the five. I, haven't I, really read I have much, read that they have told um, uh, game developers after a certain date, which, of course, is passed now. If you're building new games, have them ready for both four and five. So uh, at least from that standpoint. Uh, I think there will be some reverse compatibility or some up and down between four and five at least. Because we have like a whole digital store with all that PS4 content, they're not just going to throw that away. You're going to be able to play that on your PS5. That would be absolutely foolish for Sony to do that. All right, guys, our time is up today. Uh, The Premier League, the soccer league in England that's uh, world famous, is uh, restarting play this weekend. And in lieu of having fans in the crowd... They're going to pump in crowd noise from FIFA 20, the video game. That should be interesting (laughs) and probably a little bit creepy. That's going to do it for us. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 for Everyday Tech right here on MPB Think Radio.